Welcome to the Week Ahead in Russia, RFRL's Monday podcast about significant developments and upcoming events in Moscow and beyond. I'm Steve Gutterman, and my guest today is Irina Lagunina, Associate Standards Editor and former Director and Special Projects Editor of the Russian Service here at RFERL. Uh, welcome, Irina, and thanks very much for joining me today. Thank you for inviting, Steve. All right. It's great to, to talk to you again. Um, now, despite the title of this podcast, uh, The Week Ahead in Russia, I want to ask about two things that happened late last week, but also hopefully um, to get into what they uh, might portend to the, for the future. Obviously, that's harder to say. Um, in chronological order, the first is uh, the prisoner swap between Russia and the United States. Now, this has obviously been big news. Um, and there had been negotiations uh, in, over the last months and, and year and, and couple years. Uh, but the news broke very abruptly on Thursday that Russia had freed the American basketball star Brittany Griner. Uh, in exchange for the, le- the release um, by the United States of arms trader Victor Boot. Now, Griner, um, I believe she's a two-time all-star in the WNBA. Um, uh, she had been arrested. She'd also played in Russia for several years in the N- uh, WNBA offseason. And she was arrested at a Moscow airport in February of this year, actually, about a week uh, before the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine uh, and was sentenced um, to nine years in prison uh, for possessing uh, less than one gram of cannabis oil. Um, this was in vaping cartridges that she acknowledged was in, were in her luggage. Uh, now this amount, um, I'm sorry, the uh, cannabis oil is illegal in Russia. Um, she said she did not intend to break the law, and obviously the amount was quite small, um, leading to um, you know, accusations very widespread that, that Russia was turning this into, basically turning her into a, a geopolitical hostage over this, uh, over this infraction. Uh, now, Boot, uh, nicknamed the Merchant of Death, uh, for his involvement in selling weapons that had fueled conflicts on several continents, was arrested in Thailand in a U.S. sting operation in 2008 and was extradited to the United States, where he was eventually sentenced, I believe, in 2012 to 25 years in prison. Uh, now, of course, there's been a great deal of talk uh, about this exchange um, in Russia and, and maybe particularly in the United States. There's obviously joy over the fact that Griner is free, but it is clouded by the fact that the United States has been able has been unable to secure the release of other Americans held in Russia. Um, There was one other um, released earlier this year, uh, Trevor Reed, but um, there are are others who remain in prison in Russia, uh, including Mark Fogel and Paul Whalen, uh, who's serving a, I believe it's a 16-year prison term on an espionage charge that he says is baseless. Uh, There are also... There are other Russians who are in prison in the United States, uh, but for Russia and the Kremlin and President Vladimir Putin, bringing boot back has always seemed to be a priority. 
uh, over the years. Irina, why is that, given, given his background? Um, why has the Kremlin been so eager to win Boots' release? And, and do you think other swaps may be in the cards uh, in the relatively near future, or will Moscow essentially stop dealing, kind of stop negotiating on this now that it's gotten Boot back? Well, Steve, I, it's always very difficult to predict uh, what Moscow will do or will not do and how it will behave, because uh, that's the nature of authoritarian state that, uh, you know, it's unpredictable and everything is uh, uh, dependent on uh, the voice of one person. Uh, in uh, this case, it's uh, the voice of uh, Mr. Putin, as we know. As for Boot, yes, Moscow really wanted his release for quite a long time and, uh, um, made everything possible to get this person uh, free. You asked why? Uh, well, uh, I think that uh, the um, kind of the best way to answer this question is to look at uh, the uh, Victor's Boots bi biography. And uh, this is a very uh, interesting uh, personage in, uh, in Russian history and actually in the present world history. Uh, because uh, he is a product of the split of the Soviet Union. Uh, he was um, uh, only 25 years old when he uh, got into the uh, arms, not at that time, not even arms uh, dealership, but in um, some sort of dealership uh, internationally. Uh, it was in 1992 that he bought his first three cargo planes, uh, for $120,000. He was uh, uh, saying in several interviews that uh, it was, uh, at that time, it was easy to get money. And uh, that's uh, how he started his business. And there was nothing illegal in his business. But if you look at the, uh, uh, in the origin of where he came from, he actually came from uh, Dushanbe. Uh, he came and started, started to uh, his uh, military career in uh, the uh, Military uh, Institute of Foreign uh, Languages. Uh, that was an institute in the Soviet Union that actually was uh, preparing, um, preparing uh, students, preparing uh, experts for the uh, military intelligence. Not necessarily, of course, not all the graduates went to the military intelligence, but, uh, but some of them did. And uh, that was pretty well known. So um, it's one of these uh, this institutes that were uh, pretty much, uh, you know, high class in the, in the Soviet Union. And it was pretty difficult to get into it. But here we have a young uh, guy from, uh, not even from Moscow, uh, but uh, from one of the so so Soviet republics who came and uh, probably due to his talent in foreign languages, he started to, uh, to study there. And then all of a sudden he, uh, he uh, got a rank of lieutenant and uh, he was sent to Angola and Mozambique to work uh, as a, a military representative. So uh, that, that actually itself shows his very close uh, uh, links uh, to the Russian military. Uh, it's true that he made his first money not selling arms, but using those three cargo planes that he bought uh, to 
uh, buy gladioluses uh, flowers in Johannesburg and bringing them to the Gulf states where uh, gladioluses were uh, very popular at that time. But then he moved into arms dealership. And, uh, uh, you know, the scale of his operations was so uh, wide and so huge that uh, it actually became, especially in Angola uh, in late 90s, that it became actually a concern uh, for the United uh, Nations. The, 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 uh, the question of uh, somebody selling arms and avoiding sanctions uh, to, it was it, in such a scale actually became a, an international uh, problem. In order to get this amount of uh, uh, all sorts of military vehicles, uh, arms, Kalashnikovs, uh, bullets, uh, you know, uh, he, he provided all sorts of uh, arms and munitions to uh, the states that uh, were eager to get it. Uh, so the scale of it actually underlines that uh, it was impossible to do it without uh, a knowledge of uh, uh, Russian military, probably very much high-ranking Russian military uh, guys, and uh, without their help also. Uh, one side uh, uh, picture is of this is that, uh, for example, in 95, uh, one of his planes uh, were seized by the uh, Taliban uh, and uh, with the crew. And... Uh, he, in one of the interviews, once again, he confessed that he went seven times uh, to Kandahar to negotiate uh, their release. Uh, he was accompanied, or he was accompanying, it's difficult to say, uh, the special uh, envoy of the uh, Russian president in Afghanistan, uh, the diplomat by the name uh, Zamir Kabulov. That's a very high-ranking uh, Russian diplomat. So that shows how much uh, value uh, Victor Booth had uh, as an illegal arms dealer uh, for the uh, uh, Russian high-ranking officials. That's why they wanted to get him uh, no matter what, and uh, they finally uh, did, uh, which is... Uh, mm, which is a surprise, actually, uh, step, because I, I, I always thought that uh, uh, Russia would uh, exchange boot for more than one person, uh, but apparently something didn't work. Steve? Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and President Biden and I think other U.S. officials expressed uh, frustration uh, and, and tried to explain that, you know, <laughs> It wasn't a matter of two on one, two for one, or um, two for two. Um, this was what we could get. So, um, so, so this is what happened. Um, Brittany Griner exchanged for Victor Boot, um, and I mean I, I, that, that, that's a fascinating, fascinating background of, of Boot. Um, and and another reason I think so he's you know he's he, you're saying he's part of the he's kind of part of the um, Part of the establishment, part of the, the security services, um, and I also think you know he's a symbol because uh, he's he's a symbol of you know for Russia the, the frustration um, at the at the the fact that the U.S. Uh, was able to you know uh, have him uh, have him extradited to you know to kind of engineer his arrest 
uh, in Thailand, have him have him extradited. So, you know, there uh, that was something that they obviously did not like and are you know portrayed as 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 unfair. Um, in fact, I was watching uh, an interview um, with Boot um, on RT, which has a lot of just untruths uh, and, uh, and such, including one which the presenter or the, the interviewer, Maria Butina, who spent time in the U.S. Uh, behind bars, says that Boot says straight out, essentially in the introduction that Boot uh, was imprisoned without, without investigation or trial. You know, which is which is obviously completely false, and there were some other some other falsehoods there. But that's kind of the narrative, uh, you know, that they portray. Um, I guess for me, a question is whether there are other figures who, you know, Russia. There there are some um, hackers uh, and others uh, Russians in prison in the U.S. or in or in in jail. Um, I guess the question is whether whether Russia's desire, the Kremlin's desire to get any of them back is, is, is strong enough um, to, to provide for future exchanges. Well, you know, Steve, I once, I actually, I wrote quite a lot and made several radio programs about Victor Booth uh, before he was arrested. Uh, but uh, at some point I got a, a call from... Uh, uh, Russian TV that was about uh, probably uh, 10 years ago. Uh, Boot was already in, in prison and uh, they asked me if I could participate in their program uh, and uh, I asked, so why did they uh, make this choice of uh, you know calling me uh, and the lady uh, confessed that uh, uh, they actually spoke to a lot of people uh, but in Russia uh, but uh, nobody could say a bad word about Booth, uh, so that's why they needed me for balance. So I said no, thank you, and refused to to participate <laughs> and yeah. you know, to be the only bad guy there on TV. Yeah, uh, that's um, but, they they always try that. I think with uh, to get to get the the bad guy that they can pile on in those shows. Yeah. But, you know, we were joking that uh, uh, when he was uh, released uh, last week, we were joking that now he can uh, actually took a pla- take a place near the um, other notorious guy, which is Andrei Lugavoy, uh, who was uh, suspected to be involved uh, in the poisoning of Alexander Litvinenko in uh, Britain, the KGB whistleblower uh, who was poisoned with polonium. 2010. Uh, and uh, it turns out that it was not really a joke because uh, uh, today we got the news that uh, Victor Booth uh, actually decided to join the uh, LDPR, so called Liberal uh, Democratic Party of Russia, which is not liberal and not democratic at all, it's just a name. Uh, and uh, Lugavu is uh, as well as a member of LDPR, so uh, might be that we will see Mr. Boot very soon in Russian Duma or uh, in some sort of power structure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that that's yeah, that's pretty amazing. That kind of the speculation that you know essentially is it does seem like a joke. You know, it's like okay, this is going to happen, and then it does happen. Um, um, Right. And there's, 
yeah, the kind of interesting the way, and I guess Butina, you know, is also in the in the Duma, um, you know. But these are people who whose only sort of, you know, they're not politicians. They're people's only claim to fame is that they're are essentially that they're criminals. I mean, Boot is, is a symbol or or suspected criminals. Um, so we'll see what happens with that. Um, and certainly in this interview that I watched, his his word his words his language was fitting into kind of the the mainstream uh you know russian um uh narratives now he was talking about anglo-saxons being and the, the collapse of western civilization uh and 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 things like that uh so you know he's going to be one from judging from that it'll be one sort of voice among many um but we will see what happens in the future um Thanks very much. Um, now, the other story I want to discuss uh, also occurred last week on Friday, also involves prison, like many things that happen in Russia under Putin, I would say. Um, for a journalist, covering Russia often means, has meant over the past 20 years or so, covering the politically charged trials of opponents of Putin or simply people who have run afoul of the state. And waiting to hear not so much the verdict is really almost always guilty of a guilty verdict um, as the sentence how many years in prison or will the sentence be suspended um, so that the, so that the defendant will avoid prison as was long the case for Navalny but then uh, now is no longer the case of course he's he's now serving a long prison term on charges he says are bogus um, also Mikhail Karakovsky, uh, and, and many others. And now, um, uh, on Friday, Ilya Yashin, opposition politician who's been, um, you know, an opponent of the state, uh, of the government, an opponent of Putin's governments, you know, since, since, since the early days, he was one of the major, um, leaders of the protests, the Bolotnev protests, um, 11, 10 years ago. Now he was tried under a new law that uh, was passed I believe Putin signed it a few days or a week or two after the invasion that he ordered of Ukraine. Uh, the law criminalizes uh, what the state considers the deliberate distribution of false information about the Russian military. Um, and Yashin specifically was charged over comments on YouTube in which he discussed the alleged atrocities committed by Russian forces in Bucha, Ukraine, in the first weeks of the invasion. Now, that city outside Kiev, of course, is now almost synonymous uh, with what survivors, activists, and Ukrainian authorities say were numerous war crimes and similar uh, reports, uh, allegations, uh, horror stories have emerged from countless other uh, towns and cities that you know, were at some point under Russian occupation and are now no longer, uh, as Ukrainian forces um, you know, have taken them back. Um, and in general, Yashin has spoken out vehemently against the war. In his last court appearance before the verdict hearing, uh, he urged Putin to withdraw Russian troops from Ukraine and end what he called uh, the monstrous war. And he said that Putin's name is now inextricably, I'm sorry, inextricably associated with death and destruction, those two words. Uh, prosecutors saw it, which, which I think is, you know, fair to say is what it, it, 
you know, is what many people feel, uh, particularly certainly in the West, I think, and in, in Ukraine. Um, now, prosecutors had sought a nine-year sentence for Yashin, and the judge, I don't know if this was trolling, uh, the judge cut six months off that and handed him an eight-and-a-half-year prison sentence. Uh, Irina, what do you think is behind, I guess, the prosecution and the sentence um, for Yashin? Is he being punished for his opposition to the war, uh, or perhaps, uh, as many say, is the case with Navalny, who dared to return to Russia after surviving a poisoning that he blames on Putin um, and was arrested upon return. Is Yashin being punished uh, more for refusing to leave Russia? I think uh, that the second, Steve. I think that uh, Yashin was punished for the fact that he wanted to continue the opposition activity inside Russia. Uh, because uh, if you look at the statistics of uh, these cases that are based on this uh, uh, article uh, 207 of the uh, Criminal Code of Russia um, uh, about the so-called military fakes, spreading of military fakes, then uh, there are quite a lot of uh, cases uh, right now uh, the statistics come with uh, delay, so right now it's about 7,000, but uh, the pure statistics of the cases, uh, for example, by the end of October was almost uh, 5,000 cases since the start of the uh, military operation, and so-called since the start of the war, and since the, uh, the, uh, this uh, amendment to the criminal code was uh, signed. Uh, so out of this uh, 5,000 cases, uh, almost 4,000 came to the uh, like lower courts in Russia. And out of uh, this all uh, kind of out of this, it's to be exact, it's uh, 3,400 by the end of October. And out of them, 2,500 uh, ended up with fines, not with uh, prison sentences, but with fines. Yes, people were found guilty, uh, but uh, they were not put in prison. Actually, today there is a case that one of the activists from Krasnoyarsk, uh, Natalia Padalyak, was uh, found guilty for the, uh, the court used the same uh, article. Uh, the, because of what she was commenting in the Russian social media of Kontakte. Uh, it's an analog of uh, Facebook in Russia. Uh, so once again, she was fined for 30,000 rubles. Uh, the only exception, uh, which is very kind of vivid exception uh, of, uh, of this, uh, when the person got a long prison sentence, uh, seven years, uh, was... Uh, given to the lawyer and deputy of the uh, local uh, municipality uh, in Moscow, Alexei Gorinov. Uh, he, once again, he got seven years. Now Yashin got uh, seven, uh, eight and a half years. So this is uh, a straight sign of the Russian authorities that if you are in, in opposition, if you want to be public, uh, if you don't want to, follow the uh, party line or the Kremlin line, uh, you either be, uh, you will either be in prison or you have to leave the country. And uh, I think that uh, this is very clear and statistics actually, uh, you know, proves it. 
thanks. Yeah, that is that is quite amazing evidence uh, pointing to that. Actually, um, I, I I must say I had no idea that there were so many cases of this um, uh, since since the law was signed. I guess in early March. Um, but as you say, only a few uh, with long uh, or only two really long prison terms. And I should have mentioned, didn't mention that um, uh, Yashin, like Gordonov, um, has been a municipal lawmaker in Moscow. So, you know, he's somebody who, who you know, was in fact, or, you know, is in fact a politician uh, and has held office. Um, you know, so this, and I, and I think this adds to the, you know the the um, the ire, I guess, uh, of the Kremlin of the state and and their desire to, uh, as you say, either um, force them out of Russia. And of course, many um, people who oppose the war and or fear mobilization, the draft, um, have have left, um, and and the government, the Kremlin, does not seem to be, you know, for. Um, does not seem to be upset about that. Um, it's, it seems to be trying to kind of consolidate uh, power among the, the people who, you know, who are unwilling or unable to leave. Uh, so, yeah, as, as you say, I think, you know, it's, it's kind of the, the stark choice that, that I guess, Navalny uh, was given, you know, unofficially, um, and Yashin as well, of be, either be imprisoned or, you know, either leave the country or be imprisoned. All right, um, we are getting short of time, but uh, let's take a few questions uh, if there are any. Um, happy to take a couple questions. So again, you can raise your hand by hitting the button to request to speak. You can send a DM or um, Ask your question, post your question as a reply in this in this Twitter space. Okay, and if not, uh, three thirty, um, we can wrap it up. Um, Irina, thanks very much for joining me. Well, thank you for inviting Steve. It's a pleasure. All right, it's great to have you on on the show again. Uh, once again, I've been speaking to Irina Lagunina, associate standards editor and former director, and special projects editor of the Russian service at RFERL. And my name is Steve Gutterman, editor for Russia, Ukraine, and Belarus in the Central Newsroom at RFERL. As I mentioned, this conversation will also be published as a podcast, and you can subscribe to The Week Ahead in Russia and other RFERL podcasts on Apple, Spotify, Google, and other podcast platforms. I'll be back next Monday for another installment of The Week Ahead in Russia. And please keep an eye out for the next edition of my newsletter, The Week in Russia, on December 23rd. Thanks for listening.